The time has come for us to start our Bible study. And as much as I know we all love fellowship, we do have to take some time out to focus on the Word of God. So we will welcome you back to your seats. So we did mention Pastor Ross is gone. It's a completely legit reason he's riding his bike on his vacation. Uh, it's not because he found out I was preaching and decided to stay home for the day. So that's always a good sign, you know? That's always the worry is, if Ross isn't preaching, I'm not coming. I can't say that when I'm preaching because I have to be here, so. All right, well, um, for those of you who don't know me, I know there's some new faces. I am Pastor Carlin. I've been on staff here at The Rock for coming up on five years next month. And it's just been a joy. Thank you. It's, it's been an absolute joy. I've been attending the church for about eight years now and never thought I'd be on staff. I've been so blessed that here at this church that we put an emphasis on the teaching of the Word of God, just the simplicity of that. Uh, my wife and I just celebrated our seven-year anniversary. Very exciting to think that that's happened. I know that's nothing for uh, some of you in here, but for me, that's a long time. Gosh, seven years in a row, you know? Very proud of that. Uh, so congratulations to my wonderful wife for making it that long with me. Uh, and. Uh, you know, the things I love and we both love and talk about about our church uh, is that we're just made up of a group of people who have our struggles, uh, who have our weaknesses, but we are serious and genuine about our love for the Lord, about our commitment to Him, and we come back every week because we want to know Him more. We want to uh, learn from His Word and be encouraged by the rest of the body and help other people out. We have a sincere and genuine church. We're full of love, right? And we're committed to the Word of God. So you can't go wrong with that. You just can't. You know, that's a great thing to have. So uh, it's always an honor to be here before you because uh, we have such an incredible pastor. I mean, he, he preaches in a way that just makes me want more. I come back every week. I have to now because I'm on staff but I come back every week, especially when I wasn't on staff, just going, I gotta know what happens next. I gotta have him explain the next set of verses to me. This is so good. So it's a blessing to have him, and it's always an honor to fill the pulpit when he is gone. So in our text today, it's gonna be 1 Corinthians chapter 15, New Testament. It's a letter to the church in Corinth, and while you're turning in your Bibles there, I'm gonna pause and we're gonna take a moment, ask the Lord for his grace so that we can study his word together. Lord God, we come before you this morning again, just grateful, we're overwhelmingly grateful for what you've done for us and what you've given us. Lord, we thank you so much for your word. How in the world would we have any clue what to do if it wasn't for you revealing yourself in your word? Lord, we pray that you would illuminate the scriptures today to all of us. Give us soft and open hearts for your word, Lord. Correct the things that need to be corrected. Set straight the things that need to be straight. Encourage the areas where we're discouraged, Lord, and help us stand firmly on the word of God, we pray. In Jesus' name, 
Amen, amen. Well, let me ask you something. If I use the word undermine, to undermine someone or something, what comes to mind when you think of that? Undermine, undermine, deception, right. You know, it's a really basic English word. It means exactly what it says, to undermine. And where it comes from is sometime in the 1300s, it was a battle term, actually a military tactic. See, over in uh, Europe, they had castles. That was the symbol of might and strength. You had a castle, you had fortified walls. What can get through stone? And when armies would come and attack these castles, uh, it was a tough battle. You would lose lots of guys. The person in the castle automatically had an advantage. Well, then someone got smart. They thought, you know, this, this heavy, massive castle is only as good as the foundation it's built on. If we could erode away the foundation, the wall would collapse in that place. And so thus came the strategy to send someone over to sneak in uh, the outside at night and start digging away, undermining underneath the walls of the castle. And uh, in some instances, they would even shore up shore up this place with wood and they'd cover it at the end of the night, right? Sneak back away and it would get bigger and bigger and pretty soon it would be big enough to where if the supports were removed, the entire wall would collapse. And apparently some of them got smart enough to light the wood supports on fire. That way they didn't have to stay in there and perish, but light the wood supports on fire and the weight of the castle wall would fall down. The enemy would emerge from the forest and come and attack the castle and the castle with one hole in its wall was now useless, useless. Well, undermining doesn't have to be an intentional attack. In fact, you can have an undermine without it being a specific uh, intent of someone to do it. In fact, there is a story uh, in uh, November 1980 where a little lake in Louisiana, uh, Louisiana called Lake Pignore, a freshwater lake 10 feet deep, uh, experienced an unintentional undermine. You see, what had happened is on one part of the lake, there was a giant salt mine over 1,300 feet deep. And uh, apparently, wherever there is salt, very uh, commonly, they will find oil deposits as well. And so there is a team from Texaco on a barge with an oil drill drilling down to find this oil well. Well, they made an error. In their coordinates, just one of their points in their coordinates was off and it put their barge 400 feet in the wrong direction. And as they started drilling in the early morning, uh, something strange happened. They hit salt, and they weren't supposed to hit salt. And it stopped their drill. They had a 14-inch drill bit. It stopped their drill. And pretty soon, their barge started to tip, and they started to hear loud sounds. Well, they jumped off that barge. They ran to shore. And meanwhile, down below, there were miners in the shaft. Now, these miners are working in the salt mines, and salt can be hard. I mean, they have big tools to drill away at this salt. It's helping to support what's down there. Well, they started noticing water at the bottom of the floor. And what happens when water mixes with salt? It dissolves. 
right? It undermines. And so they evacuated and all 55 miners made it out safely as water started gushing in. And if you look at the picture, meanwhile on the surface, their air caused a leaking or a siphoning of uh, Lake uh, Pignor into the mine shaft. And that hole got bigger and bigger and bigger. The pressure built up and up and up 10 times they estimate the pressure of a fire hydrant. And so it poured through that hole, it created a whirlpool in this 10 foot deep lake and the drillers looked from shore and saw their 150 foot drilling rig get sucked underneath. You can imagine their surprise, <laughs> right? If you look here, here's some pictures of it. There is air vents in the salt mine and water and air shot up one side as the other side was pulled down. They said the whirlpool was approximately a quarter mile wide. That's huge. And all because of one air in a point of a coordinate. Now, there is a story of a man who was on this lake fishing in the morning. Now. If anyone has ever fished in here, if you enjoy fishing, what is the most peaceful, relaxing, non-interesting, I think, thing that you can do in the morning? Just go fishing. It just takes away all the stress. You know, everything's fine. The last thing in the world you're expecting in a 10-foot deep lake is a whirlpool to start appearing. And that's what happened. And so this, this uh, Louisiana man is describing how all of a sudden he noticed a turning and he saw things starting to get sucked in. He said, this isn't happening. And he took his boat and he had to offshoot it towards the shore and he makes it to shore as he describes. He ties up his boat real quick, starts running. He turns around and looks and says, I saw the boat and the tree that I had tied it to get pulled down into the whirlpool. If you look closely in this last picture uh, here, it shows barges, they had giant barges with uh, semi-trucks on top of them. And those were getting sucked down the whirlpool. This was a huge disaster. Now, if that wasn't bad enough, there, it could get worse and it got worse, okay? Not only was it pulling in uh, houses, not only was it pulling in trees, barges, boats, uh, it actually fed into the Gulf of Mexico. Well, because of the pressure in the whirlpool and the suction, it reversed the flow and started pulling water in from the Gulf of Mexico. And now this deep pit that had formed had water pouring in and there was a 150 foot waterfall filling into this lake. Now, as this is going on, you can imagine everybody's faces are just in a state of shock. As this is going on, the lake eventually equalized out and refilled. And this lake went from a freshwater lake to a saltwater lake. It's a saltwater lake to this day. And here's some pictures of it today, just so you can see. It's a real story. There's one of the houses. It used to be, you know, uh, lakefront property. <laughs> there is all that's left of one is a chimney in the middle of the lake. You can still see it to this day. And so in this true story that happened, it really illustrates what we're going to see today in the Corinthian church. And that's that even being off in one point, even unintentionally, can cause a significant disaster. So let's look at our text, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 
starting at verse one. Now, brothers, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you, are, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel, you are saved if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you. Otherwise, you believed in vain. The Corinthian church had a lot of problems. So first, we have to understand who he's writing to. You see, the church at Corinth was made up of uh, non-Jewish people called Gentiles. These Gentiles had zero experience uh, with morality or with just basic concepts of God. Uh, the best they had was philosophy and philosophers, okay? So they had some ideas, but they lived lives as utter pagans. So Paul comes, preaches the gospel to them. Some of them get saved. And now there's a church filled up of believers who believed the gospel. Well, there was a big problem. You see, even though they were saved, they were newborn Christians. They didn't know how to walk this walk. And so they needed instruction, just like we do today. And so Paul writes and addresses their issues. Their first issue they had was immorality, huge immorality and thinking it was okay. He says, no, no. And he explains another scripture that if you've confessed the name of Christ, you have to abstain from wickedness. Do you see that he has no fellowship with wickedness? He's calling you out from that. And then they had issues with the spiritual gifts. They couldn't even use those right. So he had to explain, no, it's not a free for all. There's order, there's decency in the house of the Lord. And then they had uh, issues with communion. Uh, remembering what Christ has done for us. They were misusing and abusing that, and he had to address that as well. Now, finally in his letter, he's wrapping it up, but there's one more thing he really needs to address that they are off on, and it has to do with the gospel. One of their points was starting to deteriorate. It was gonna turn into a disaster, if not checked. So what we will look at in our scripture today we're gonna see the gospel. We'll start with a rebuilding our foundation, a remembrance of the gospel and what it is. Then we're gonna look at the problem or the error they had, and then we'll look at the repercussions if you believe that error. So let's explain verse one and two. Now, brothers, that's an encouragement, just right off the bat. Paul's calling them believers. He's not saying, well, you're acting like unbelievers, so what does that mean? No, he's saying, now hold on here. Your brothers, you've, you've professed faith in Jesus Christ. So I'm gonna call you brothers. I'm gonna come at you as a loving father saying, there's an error here and you've gotta realize it. Maybe you just don't realize it. So that's the first encouragement. Secondly, he says, I wanna remind you, not tell you for the first time. He's gonna remind them of the gospel that they've believed in. And so he says, this is the gospel that you have received. That's why I can call you brothers because you have received the gospel we preach to you. Then he says, it's, it's the gospel on which you have taken your stand. You are standing up and saying, no, I am a Christian. And a Christian is someone who believes the gospel. Now here's the important thing. He says, by this gospel, you are saved if you hold firmly to the word I preach to you. You know, it's pretty important if Paul says, hey, this one thing, this is what saves you. That's pretty significant. If you don't have this, you don't have anything. And he exhorts him and says, but you have to hold firmly onto it. What is the gospel? If you notice the link, 
It's the word that was preached to them. So what we're gonna do and what he does with them is we're gonna look at what the gospel is. So let's look at what the gospel is in verse three. Paul speaking. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he uh, raised again on the third day according to the scripture, and that he appeared to Peter and then to the 12. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. And last of all, he appeared to me also as to one abnormally born. So this is the gospel, ladies and gentlemen. When you hear uh, the commission to go and preach the gospel to all nations, when, when they say, I preach the gospel to you, when you wonder what is it they were believing, when you wonder what is it that I have to believe, we're gonna go over it because this is it. This is the gospel, point one of the gospel. Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures, meaning just like the Bible said he would. So it's recorded in Isaiah 53, hundreds of years before Jesus is born. God's already revealing that the Messiah is gonna come and die for our sins. Point two, Christ was buried. That's important. Christ didn't just die for our sins on the cross and then five minutes later, snap out of it. Right? We know stories even today of people uh, being maybe um, uh, heart dead or uh, brain dead, uh, uh, even in rare cases, uh, that in a few minutes or something like that, something changed, they come back, it's, it's incredible and we're shocked. But he's saying it wasn't that. No, he was buried. He was dead, dead. No, we put him in the tomb. He was gone and he stayed there for a few days. Next, point of the gospel he rose on the third day, just like the Bible said he would. That's important. Gotta have a risen savior, right? If you believe Christ died on the cross for your sins, that's outstanding. If you believe he was buried also, great. If he never rose, you don't have the gospel. You don't have the gospel. And finally, the fourth point, he appeared. He appeared, again, emphasizing, re-emphasizing the fact that he had risen. You see, he didn't just rise from the dead and no one saw him do that. It wasn't like the body was missing and I guess he rose from the dead. He rose and appeared. And you'll find out that that was the exact issue the Corinthian church, some in the Corinthian church were having was that they had a problem with the resurrection. Now that is why Paul goes into such great detail as to who Christ appeared to. He's saying, okay, we know he died and was buried and he rose from the dead and we saw him. And he lists all the people who saw him that Paul could remember. There's accounts of this even in the gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, of the resurrected Christ. Christ is risen from the dead. In fact, that's why we're here this morning is because we all believe who have trusted in Christ, that Christ died for who? For us sinners to pay for our sins, that he was buried and then what? That's not the end. He rose on the third day and he appeared. He really died and really rose. This is the gospel. This is the gospel. So that's the what of the gospel. How about the why of 
the gospel? What's the purpose? Uh, how does this play into our salvation? Let's look at the verses. First one is Romans 1.16. Paul speaking, he says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for salvation for everyone who believes. The gospel is the power of God. The gospel is what brings dead people to life spiritually. How do we get saved? Through believing in the gospel. Next verse, 1 Corinthians 1.18. For the message of the cross, the preaching of the gospel, is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. God's power is expressed to us through the gospel. Here's the points then we have of, of the gospel's purpose. Number one, it's God's power. We cannot save ourselves, period. He is the one who saves us through the preaching of the gospel and our believing the gospel. Number two, it's for salvation, not for a better life, not for more wealth, not for more health. It is to save you from your sins. Finally, it is to everyone who believes. That's powerful and important. Not just those who were brought up in it, not just uh, those who uh, were born in it. We met someone in, uh, when we were in Israel, we got to go to Bethlehem. And we had a Christian tour guide who boarded the bus, he was Palestinian. And as we started talking with him, we said, so tell us how did you become a Christian? And he said, well, my name is George. It's a Christian name, my parents are Christians. We're Christians and they're Arabs and they're Jews. That's what we are. And we're like, did you believe in Christ? Have you? And he looked at us kind of confused. He's like, no, we're, we're born into what religion we are, right? Isn't that how it works? Gospel says, no, it's not how it works. You have to be born again. God's power for salvation to everyone who believes. Jew, Greek, man, woman, old, young, near, far, everyone who places their faith in Christ will be saved. That's the gospel's purpose. And then next we're gonna see, so then how does that apply to me? How do I get God's power? How do I get born again? And again, I know we've talked about this many times before, but we have to establish this foundation. So Romans chapter 10, verses eight through 10 say this. Paul says, the word of faith that we're proclaiming is this, that if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you confess and are saved. That is how you receive the gospel. That is how you become a child of God or become a Christian. It's really that simple. So this is the foundation. This is what Paul is laying out here. And he says in verse 11, so whether then it was I or they, meaning the other people who saw Jesus appear, he says, this is what we preach. And this is what you have believed. That's what being a Christian is, he says. All right, we've looked at what the gospel is. Now we're gonna move into their error. What point did they not fully believe? What point did they stray? What point of their coordinates was off that would cause a giant disaster? Let's look at verse 12. 
But if it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And that's where we'll pause. He's addressing some of them. That's the first part we have to notice. It wasn't the entire Corinthian church. It was a few of them. But notice what it says. Some among you. These were professing Christians. They said, some of them, well, there's no resurrection of the dead. Maybe it was the belief at the time that was common in society. Uh, Maybe it was the belief that they had held as a child growing up. It's pretty obvious that we know, yeah, dead people don't come back to life, they're saying. Now, there's something interesting in this. One, this is going to undermine the gospel but I don't believe it's intentional and the way it's worded shows that it's not like they're attacking the the gospel boldly and saying, here's your four points. We disagree with point three. Uh, Islam, for example, disagrees with Christ uh, dying on the cross. In the Quran, it says, Christ did not die on the cross. It only appeared that he died, but they killed him not, it says, and they crucified him not but Allah raised him back to life, uh, or saved him, rather, from the, the, the suffering. Big problem, big problem. You cannot be saved and believe that message. That's not the gospel. But that's an overt attack. That's a coming right up against it and saying we completely disagree. Well, this attack comes from within. It's fellow believers that are enjoying the fellowship. It's inward, inward. And it's not really intentional. They're not saying Christ didn't raise from the dead. They're just saying, we just don't believe in the resurrection. We believe he died. We believe we're sinners and he was paying that price. We believe in God. We enjoy the fellowship. We just don't believe that the dead are gonna rise. We kind of think it's for this life only, this life only. So the lesson for us is that, that sometimes undermining of the gospel can come inwardly and unintentionally, and subtly. It's subtly. You know, you might hear that and go, okay, the dead won't rise. Well, you know, God will kind of sort that out, or that doesn't really affect the gospel. Paul is gonna show this in the following verse. Third point, he's gonna show that it's linked. It's linked. Do you realize that some things that are being said in Christian circles or in Christian bookstores, you'll find some books, not all of them, right? Some of them that will share ideas kind of like this, kind of out there. They'll say, uh, there's someone who says, hey, there's no hell. I'm not saying there's no heaven. I'm not attacking the gospel. There's just no hell. Well, Paul would argue that's linked. What in the world were you saved from? Why in the world did Christ come and die for you? Well, he's paying your price for sin and there's no hell? That seems like a pretty steep price to pay and he seemed pretty uh, serious about how he had to pay this price if there's no hell. So that is linked. There's some out there who will teach, well, Genesis is metaphorical. Adam and Eve aren't literal people. Well, there's a problem, that's linked. Because how did sin come into the world? Why do we all physically die? The Bible says it's all linked. Why do we need a savior to pay for our sins? Why is Christ called the second Adam if Adam isn't uh, a real person? And by the way, Christ uh, confirmed he was a real person when he talked about the beginning 
in scripture, but it comes in subtly. We have to be aware of this, guys. It's one coordinate that's off, one little coordinate. The other points are solid, but if one's off, you can be off just enough to bore the hole in the wrong place, and before you know it, the lake is draining, and the whirlpool is starting to spin and turn, and you can't figure out why. This is why. So let's go on. Paul makes the link here uh, in verse 13, just finishing up. He says this, if there is no resurrection of the dead, meaning you believe you won't rise from the dead, he says, well, then Christ hasn't risen from the dead because he was dead. And if there's no resurrection, then he did not raise from the dead. So yes, it is absolutely linked. Let's look at verse 14, and you'll see the whirlpool start to spin now. Paul's gonna explain, oh, if you wanna believe this way, this is exactly what's gonna happen. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. That's pretty big. In fact, that word for useless in Greek, that word for useless means uh, empty or devoid, empty. Uh, it's got the idea of a vessel, like a pitcher, let's say, a water pitcher, having nothing inside of it. You got the outside, it looks nice, but there's nothing inside of it. It's used twice in the Old Testament scriptures when uh, the Greek Septuagint came out. The Old Testament was written in Hebrew and it was translated just before Christ came to earth. It was translated uh, by some Jewish scholars. They translated it into Greek so that uh, more people would be able to read the scriptures. Well, they chose this very same word and used it twice for empty. They used it twice in the Old Testament. Once was in Genesis chapter 37, and I'll read it for you. It's the, the part of the story where Joseph, if you remember, and his brothers are coming, Joseph's coming to meet his brothers. His brothers were jealous of him, and it says this. So when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe, and they took him and threw him into the cistern. Now the cistern was empty. There was no water in it. It was meant to hold water, wasn't the time of year for water. It was empty, it was devoid, it had no substance in it. The other time in scripture where it uses that word, the Septuagint, is in Judges talking of Gideon. If you remember the story, Gideon had 300 men God had chosen and they were gonna overthrow the enemy and Gideon had them get torches and pitchers and it said they took the pitchers which were empty and they put the torches inside of them so that the enemy couldn't see the light until it was too late, empty. Paul says, if Christ did not raise from the dead and everything else is true about him, then what we're preaching is empty, empty. Here's a good way of describing that. Let's say you decide to take the trip of a lifetime and it's a road trip, okay? Those can still be the trip of a lifetime, by the way. Uh, even though everybody flies everywhere nowadays. So you're taking a trip of a lifetime and naturally that leads you completely out of California. And so you're driving and as you're driving up and over the mountains, uh, you come to the end of California. You always know you're at the end of California and going into a new state because you'll see the very last tree. <laughs> Anybody ever, ever done a road trip? Very last tree. The second you see the last tree, there'll be a sign, welcome to fill in the blank. You have just left California. I think what we did is we just took our, you know, the state line, just went around every tree. That's why it's all jaggedy if you look at it, you know, up close. We just made sure we had all of them and gave everybody else the desert land. So, all right, you're coming out of California. You're entering Nevada. 
And uh, you start coming through, it's getting dark, and you're going, I just wanna make it a little bit further. Let's go to the next town. You come up to a town in Nevada called uh, Tonopah, small little town. Anybody ever been to Tonopah, Nevada? Okay. <laughs> Almost, good. <laughs> Put that on the bucket list, go to Tonopah, Nevada. You're on the US 6, you're headed to uh, Ely, Nevada, and you see the sign. It says, next gas, 163 miles. This is a real sign. That is a real picture. If you've ever driven across country, that could be any place. That's most of the rest of the country looks like this. <laughs> so you decide to chance it. What's 163 miles, you say? Come on, this is a trip of a lifetime. And as you're driving, you run out of gas exactly halfway. Could anything be worse than that? It's 80 miles either direction. You're out of gas. It's dark. Now, let's say uh, you see someone coming towards you. Now, it's not really realistic because when I looked at pictures of this place, I looked at a lot of pictures and none of them had cars in them. <laughs> if you can see for miles, do you see any cars on that road? No. But let's say for your sake that there is a car coming, okay? You would see the lights coming at you for a long time, because it's a long straightaway, and they get closer, you flag them down and they stop. Thank you for stopping. Who stops in a road like this in the middle of the night for someone, okay? So you thank them for stopping, you say, I'm out of gas. I'm out of gas and I'm in between two towns in the middle of nowhere. And they say, don't worry about it. They hand you a gas can and they drive away. And the gas can's empty. How much help was that really? Think about that. He's saying that's what our faith is. That's what our preaching is. If Christ is not risen from the dead, forget the rest of it. Forget the fact that you put gas in gas cans. If you don't have the gas, the substance, you've got nothing. Our preaching is useless, empty, void, gone. And he said, not only that, he said, your faith is too. You believe this. If you really think that that part's missing and you believe the rest of it, what do you have? That would be like taking the gas can, seeing it's empty, sitting on your hood and smiling. <laughs> At least I got the gas can. Now all I need is some gas. It doesn't help. Unless Christ is raised from the dead, our preaching is useless, empty and void, and your faith is useless and empty and void. What really he's saying is, we've got nothing to offer you, and you, by believing it, have nothing by believing that if he didn't raise from the dead. Let's go on to verse 15 and see the whirlpool start picking up some speed now. More than that, we are then found to be false witnesses about God. For we have testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead. But he didn't. If in fact the dead aren't raised. Paul's saying, do you realize we are witnessing, we are testifying on behalf of God that he's chosen us to share this message, to be his eyewitnesses, and we are giving you personal testimony of what our eyes saw, not what we just believed. We're not just telling you we believe in Jesus, you should too. We're saying, I saw Jesus die, I saw him come back from the dead. The disciples saw this. Jesus appeared to them. They saw the risen Lord, they touched Jesus. 
Thomas doubted, and Jesus says, take your hand and put it, put your finger where the nails went through my wrist for you. And okay, so you wanna say that we made all that up. Well, then what you're saying is that we are liars. He's not letting his way, he's not letting himself any room for misunderstanding. Maybe we, we you know, we were just confused. He, he left no room out. You know, if you, see, if you see someone on TV today, pick your favorite politician, put him on an interview on TV, and ask him something tough, you'll see that they find ways to get out of things that you had no idea. I didn't even think of that, you know? Well, maybe everything is wrong. I don't know. It might be true, I don't know. If someone were to ask them, so just tell me outright, did you do this or didn't you do this? Well, I might have done it, not remembered, you know, I can't be held accountable for that. And there's a big, huge, long explanation and they never, they're just trying to pin these guys down and they keep escaping and there's no way to get these guys. Paul's saying, hey, I'll tell it to you simply. There is no way we are mistaken. The only thing that could happen is either we are telling you the truth and he rose, or we are making the entire thing up. There is no in-between, no confusion, no, uh, oh, maybe it was just his spirit that rose. No, we saw his body, his body rose. And that is what they're so excited about. So he says, it's simple. Following that line, we, not just I, but all the apostles, everyone who's seen him and is telling everyone, we're all liars. We're intentionally deceiving you because there's no way we are mistaken. Moving on, verse uh, 16 and 17. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. Again, linking it. Do you see what you've started here? For if the dead are not raised, Christ is not raised easy, uh, either. If there's no hell, then how is there a heaven? What, is it, what does anything matter? What have you been saved from? These things are linked, he's saying. Verse 17, he says, and if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. Now that word that he chose to use there means useless, to no purpose, purposeless. You think of some things that are just, have no purpose, that we see today, just maybe tools. Or, I've got a couple pictures for you. Let's, let's look at this peephole they put in this door. <laughs> what is the purpose of that peephole in that door? No purpose. Let's move to the next one. Let's look at the gate. There's a car gate. That'll stop him, right? There's a sign. Let's show the sign of purpose here. It's an actual sign. Sign not in use. There must be a reason for that, right? And then lastly, we have a sidewalk here with the gate. That'll stop those nifty skateboarders with their skateboards and teenagers and all that. Let's see him get around that one. <laughs> that has no purpose. You see, do you realize that faith in Christ has a purpose? It has a reason. There's power in the gospel because you need to be delivered from something. You need your sins forgiven and that's what he links. He says, guess what? If you have everything else and Christ hasn't risen from the dead, your faith is useless, pointless, purposeless because you are still in your sins. You're still in your sins. Yes, Jesus died for your sins. But if he didn't raise, how would you know the payment was accepted? Number one. Yeah, Christ died for our sins, then no one ever heard from him again. 
well, now what do, you know, I mean, what else should we do? Is there another one coming? (laughs) Think about it. What him rising from the dead says, it not only validates everything else he said, because anyone can say they're the Messiah, but only one person came back from the dead dead. It validates that, but it also validates the fact that God the Father received the payment in full and gave Christ life. That way Christ can give you life. Isn't that awesome? So Paul's saying, uh, if so, let's just say Christ hasn't been raised from the dead, fine. Your faith is pointless. It's not gonna help you, period. He said, you are still in your sins. Notice also that he's using this as a point, meaning that the people who had a problem with the resurrection didn't have a problem with Christ dying for their sins. He's saying, uh, you're still in your sins, and, they, and he's proving a point, and they would say, oh yeah, that makes sense. We do believe he died for our sins. Okay, now, the final point, the point of the story and the illustration where, uh, where the water starts flowing backwards and gets worse, so we're headed that direction. He makes this, this little statement too. He said, oh, then by the way, all those who have trusted in Christ and have died, they're gone. Now the word here is very significant. Lost doesn't mean that they've disappeared into nothingness. They have perished in God's judgment. They're in God's judgment. They're gone and they're suffering in God's judgment. But they believed uh, in Christ. No, 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 you said there's no resurrection. Sins aren't paid for. God's gotta punish sin. They're gone. You know, one of the more encouraging parts of the gospel to me, just one of my favorites, is that I get to see people I know who have trusted in Christ and died. I get to see them again. They're with Christ. They have life. We're gonna be together with Christ forever. That's encouraging. Paul's saying, hey, you're not only messing up your faith. Oh no, everybody else, this implicates everybody. Everybody who's dead is gone. Doesn't matter. Uh, Because Christ, if he didn't rise from the dead, they're lost. And you will be too. All right, the final point here. Here we go. The final part, he's gonna nail this down and say, fine, if you want to believe that Christ didn't rise from the dead, here's what it gets you. He says in verse 19, if only for this life, we have hoped in Christ, we are to be pitied more than all men. Let that sink in for a second. If you are only a Christian for this life only, if there is no afterlife, if there's no eternal life, Paul says, the world should pity us. What kind of hope do we have if it's just for this life? See, Paul had invested into the kingdom of God. He had been beaten and whipped. He had gone places and spoken when he was shaking because he was so afraid. And he shared this gospel because he knew the gospel had power to convert the soul. And he shared this gospel and people got converted. And he encouraged them and he says, and if there's no resurrection, if Christ hasn't been raised, it's worthless all the moral benefits of being a Christian, what a waste. All the the experience you have, just being able to worship uh, this God who didn't rise from the dead, if you wanna believe that, Corinthians, uh, you're just kidding yourselves because you are going to perish and all that's gonna mean nothing. You're believing a lie. This is important for us to realize 
that we have a true faith. We aren't just having wishful thinking as Christians. Wishful thinking is foolish, really. It might give you a positive attitude, but Christ didn't come and die so you could have a positive attitude on life. Now, I wanna share something with you, and it's, give it a second, think about it before uh, responding. There was an interview done between uh, a pastor or priest, can't remember which he was, from another denomination, and the interviewer said, I have a question for you. Suppose they found Christ's body tomorrow, body of Christ, and it wasn't some hoax. Let's say it was legit. Let's say you agreed and everybody else agreed, oh, this is the body of Christ. I guess he did die and didn't rise. And he, he asked this pastor, he said, how would that affect your faith? Now listen to his response. He said, would it matter? Christ is risen in my heart. Amen. Now think about this for a second. Our first reaction is to say, well, absolutely, I have a relationship with him. But notice that what's being challenged is the historical fact. Did Christ rise or not? If, they, if his body truly was discovered, guess what Paul says? Your religion is worthless. Worthless. He says, I'm a liar, and what I'm giving you is empty and void. All the dead are lost. It doesn't matter the feelings I have. If he did not rise from the dead, you've got nothing. It does matter. In fact, everything Paul's pointing out depends on it. Everything. Everything. Powerful. Powerful to think about. And I think this is where we go wrong. I think that because we do have this relationship with the Lord, we think, well, maybe that's not as important. Sure, okay, they, so they find, find the body of Jesus, let's say, uh, and we all agree, okay, fine. So it's proven he didn't rise from the dead. It wouldn't change me, I'd still be a Christian. I'd come and hang out with everyone. Uh, why would I give this up? It's happy, it's, well, then you've got no resurrection. You've got no hope. You can find some other committee to hang out with. We are here because we believe in the bodily death and resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And that is how we know we're gonna rise. That's it. So are you ready for some good news? It doesn't end here. I can see you've been in the whirlpool a while now. Okay, here we go. Verse 20, he says this, but Christ has indeed been raised from the dead. He's the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep, meaning died. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. This is the hope. Paul said, fine, we have our coordinates, we have our points of the gospel, take one point away and see if it's worth believing in. He said, it's not, it's not. It's not, not worth it, not worth it to me. Shouldn't be worth it to you, unless your faith is in vain and you don't really care anyway. No, it's not worth it, he says. But he just says this, do you realize why I gave you a long list of who saw Christ, including myself? Because he actually rose from the dead. They're not going to find the body of Jesus. They're not, period. And he says, he is the first fruits of those who have died, saying he's the first one to come back from the dead in his new spiritual body that was flesh and bones, but was raised imperishable. It's his eternal body now. We're gonna be raised in our actual bodies, 
but they're gonna be raised imperishable. They're gonna be changed in a way because they're never gonna die. They're never gonna get sick. They're gonna be made for eternity. Incredible, incredible. And he says, he links again, uh, sin coming through Adam. Since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man, the God-man, Jesus Christ. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. Just as we all know that everybody dies. 10 out of 10 people die, new statistic, right? <laughs> as sure as that is, all who have placed their faith in Christ will be made alive, why? Because he is alive. That is our link. And so the discouragement, I think, sometimes for us guys as we go, uh, well, I believe so strongly in Christ that it doesn't matter if all the facts are true, meaning he rose from the dead, I still would believe him, right? No. The gospel is that these facts are true. We hold to them. We don't have to be afraid of them not being true. And that is what our faith is based off of. And that is freeing. You're not making up something. You know how hard it is to believe in something that's not real? It's exhausting. Just ask all the religions of the world. It is, <laughs> seriously, it is exhausting. You're constantly having to defend and, you know, come on, uh, you know, and, well, I believe it and that's all that matters and it doesn't matter if it's true or not. Some religions of the world don't matter. They don't care if their religion is true or not. What is the logic in that? But Paul's saying, if your religion is not, then you're just as, you should be pitied actually even more than, than them. What have you got invested in the kingdom of God? Because if Christ didn't rise from the dead, it's all a waste. It's all a waste. But thanks be to God, Christ has indeed been raised from the dead. He's the first fruits of those who have died. And just as death came to all men, life will come to all men. And so uh, through who have believed in Christ. So here is the exhortation for us today. Know that gospel inside and out. 1 Corinthians 15, three through four. Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures and was buried. Christ rose again the third day according to the scriptures and appeared. That's the good news. That's what saves us. Hold firmly, he says, to the word I preach to you. Do you wanna be in a whirlpool? Just hold on to the gospel. Hold on to the gospel. Why? Because it's true. It's true. That is why you should believe it. You don't believe it and it makes it true. You believe it because it's true. So we're gonna ask the worship team to come up. And uh, as we get ready to close, I just want you to focus a little bit. Just focus on the fact that God and what he did is real and true. Your faith is a true faith, so believe it. And uh, invest in the kingdom of God. How do you invest? I would say by telling others the truth. Don't even have to necessarily know how to defend all of it, just share it. Because the gospel is the power of God to salvation. So that's the encouragement. Let's close in prayer and then we'll have our final song. Lord, thank you God for using the Corinthian church and some among them who had lost their point 
to teach us today to hold firmly to your gospel because your gospel is a power of you to salvation, to everyone who believes. What a reassurance, what a burden is lifted just to know that it's true. It's not something we have to believe and just hope it's true. God, you never have called us to believe in anything that isn't true. In the contrary, you said you are the truth. You are the way and you are the life. And you are the only way for us to be made right with God. So Lord, now as we process this word, this teaching, God, would, would you just be amongst us, Lord? The joy of knowing you now and knowing, yes, you are real, you are risen. We have a risen savior who we are going to worship at this point. Lord, receive our worship, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. It seems pretty strange that we could be encouraged from Paul demonstrating a, a whirlpool. But look at it the other way now. Christ is risen, so therefore, you are not to be pitied the most among men. Christ is risen from the dead, and so those who have perished in Christ haven't perished. They are in his hands. They're with him. Think of that. Let that sink in. Christ has risen from the dead, so your faith isn't pointless. Your faith in Christ and the gospel has a significant point. It frees you and forgives you of your sins. And coming back to the first point about the emptiness, Christ is risen from the dead, so your faith is not empty. It's full of substance, truth and life. And your preaching, when you share the gospel with others, it's not empty, it's powerful. You are giving them what they need, what everyone needs. So share it with them, share it with them. Heavenly Father, God, would you encourage all of us today? We're so strengthened by your word. I needed this message today, Lord. We know the ways we fall short. Thank you for your patience and your grace with us. You call us sons and daughters, Lord, and we don't always act like sons or daughters. God, help us be firm and hold firm to your gospel. Help us to share this incredible thing of eternal, everlasting life with you, with others who desperately need it, God. Lord, we thank you for the relationship we do have with you because we're not imagining it. We have a relationship with the risen Christ. In Jesus' name, we commit these things. Amen. Amen. God bless you. You've been listening to The Rocks Podcast. Our regular services are held on Sunday mornings at 8.30 and 10.30 a.m. in Santa Rosa, California. If you'd like to learn more, please visit our website at cctherock.org.